It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. This is the Pixar Sciatica Podcast. It was July 2022, and my wife and I wanted to go get some fried chicken. So we ended up going to San Francisco, eating some fried chicken, beignets, the works. It was probably one of the most delicious yet rich meals I've ever had. About a few hours later, I woke up with this searing abdominal pain, pain in my stomach, and it was so bad that I was nauseous. I didn't know if I had to go to the bathroom or throw up. The pain was so intense that I actually passed out. And I passed out, my wife woke me up, and I didn't know what was going on. I was really, really scared. And so my wife and I, we went to the emergency room in our local town, and I didn't know what to expect. I've had to send some people to the emergency room, but I really had no idea what to expect throughout this case. We end up going in, we get triaged, or I get triaged. Blood pressure's fine, heart rate's fine, temperature's fine. I'm starting to recover a little bit. So I'm sitting in the waiting room for about eight hours. Eight hours go by, I'm not being seen. I feel fine to the point where I'm actually starting to get a little angry. So I end up saying, all right, well, I'm just gonna go home and get checked out by my regular doctor. Luckily, I went home, nothing went wrong. I went to my regular doctor, turned out that I had an issue because of the fact that I ate too much fat. And so this is probably one of the many scenarios that people go through when trying to deal or determine whether or not they should be going to the ER and really having no idea what to expect. And so today's guest is Tiffany Ryder, who is a PA who actually runs the emergency department or emergency room out where she is at. And so she was kind enough to share her expertise and what to expect uh, in the emergency room and also some things to look for. And then we're going to collaborate and talk about when you're experiencing something as intense as sciatica pain, how that can actually play in an emergency room visit. So Tiffany, thank you so much for being on today's episode. Hey, Ashley, that is a incredibly compelling story, something that you know we, we do see a lot. I certainly wouldn't say that I run my emergency department, but I am there frequently and we do see a lot of back pain. Um, I was really intrigued with the fact that you've got a podcast that is covering sciatica because it's such a common complaint and it's such a common diagnosis for us. So I'm just happy to be here and have a chance to talk a little bit about at least what to expect when you're at the emergency room waiting for care, you know, what we can do for you, what we can't do for you, and um, hopefully give a little clarity on why sometimes you end up in the emergency department, you know, even when you don't think that that's necessarily where you need to be, you know, what those concerns are that your provider or your physical therapist uh, may be concerned about. Yeah. And so for, yeah, and I'm so glad that you're here. We're going to take a deep dive into it. For starters, let's talk a little bit more about the emergency department itself. Hopefully, the majority of listeners and the majority of people don't ever have to go into the emergency room and experience it. But I think for a lot of us, our initial impressions of what the emergency department is like is what we see in, on TV. 
And what we see on TV is not necessarily what we see uh, in person. So could you tell us a little bit more about what, like what an emergency department, emergency room does just so that everyone can be clear to kind of understand, you know, where they would be going to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, this is obviously my perspective from where I'm working and where I am. Um, but, you know, for the most part in emergency medicine, we are there because we are looking for those life or limb threatening diagnoses that would have a huge impact on our patients. Uh, so a lot of times I think that patients don't exactly clearly understand that really our purpose is to find that needle in a haystack, that big scary thing that could be happening and and treat that in a timely fashion and you know do the best that we can to ensure that people aren't suffering unnecessarily and there aren't unnecessary bad outcomes. Um, but given that people do have increasingly more difficult time finding, you know, access to care, primary care, um, uninsured uh, patients, you know, have a harder time finding care sometimes. And so we end up doing a lot of primary care, a lot of urgent care. Um, and in addition to those emergencies, um, but sometimes what we'll have is we'll have someone who comes in and they, they really want an answer. And a lot of times that's a surprise that we can help with pain. We can help rule out those big, scary things. We can help rule in those big, scary things and treat them. But sometimes we just have to say, it's good news that we don't really have an answer for you. But this is, you know, something that you should follow up with your primary care about. That's huge. I remember speaking with a lot of um, clients where They've gone to the ER because their pain was so bad and they go and they say, I go to the emergency department or emergency room mm -hmm. and they just gave me some painkillers, did an x-ray. They said nothing was too wrong with me. And then they just sent me home and now still I'm in a lot of pain. And it's, they often come out extremely disappointed because of the fact that they don't have answers and the entire medical system is very vast, right? You have people in the emergency department, such as yourself to make sure that people aren't experiencing life or limb emergencies. But then you have the other folks who are able to say, all right, well, since this is not a life emergency, this is how we can address it. When someone comes to me and they're presenting with any sort of what we call medical red flags, I often say, okay, now it's time to go see a physician. So then that way they can actually rule out any, any, any of the other options. So for me on my side, on the outpatient side, I screen for medical red flags. So we're looking at saddle anesthesia, complete muscle weakness, bowel and bladder mm -hmm. issues. These are the things that are outside the scope of what I can provide. And mm -hmm. so, um, I think what before we had this interview, we were talking about some of the other follow-up questions that you would be asking patients when you were coming in, especially from, say, like the numbness perspective, which I thought was very intriguing. Um, would you be able to share a little bit more about those kind of like those follow-up questions from like a numbness? You, you said something really cool in regards to like wiping yourself and did it feel any different? Yeah, than yeah. So it's interesting, right? Because we all learn these these red flags to look out for and not that those are the only things that we're looking for but certainly if we see any anything on this big scary list then we're absolutely looking further into it exploring more maybe doing imaging things like that talking to someone smarter than us neurosurgery something like that um 
But yeah, so the way that you ask the questions to the patients and explain to the patients, if this is happening to you, don't pass go, don't go to sleep, don't put it off till the morning, you need to come in, right? And so some of the things that, you know, even when I discharge my patients who came in with pain and I say, if this, you know, worsens really quickly, we need you to come back, right? If all of a sudden the progression is just getting worse and worse and and you're noticing that it is not normal for you, that's a reason to get evaluated. Um, any trauma is something. So trauma is just a fancy word for I fell. I got in a car accident two days ago and now, you know, something's really off. Um, and I'm having this this horrible pain I don't normally have, right? Anything that big or small um, that's happened to you could be significant, right? And so that's one of those things that like, of course, there's no rule for that. But if you are 65 years old and you just slipped on the sidewalk and fell on your butt, that could be a trauma that's significant enough to cause an issue with your, you know, spine. Whereas in, you know, a, a six-year-old, maybe it isn't, right? So it's, you know, it's hard, to, it's hard to quantify that, but to say that it's something that you should pay attention to. And if there was a trauma, then you should be thinking, ah, maybe it's more likely that I should go get checked out. Um, we look at other things like neurologic symptoms, like you were talking about. And you know, that can look like urinary retention, meaning I'm trying to pee, but something weird is happening. Uh, you know, I'm just dribbling instead of peeing, or I, I wasn't trying to pee, and uh, now my underwear are wet, right? So there are, there are some things there. Um, you mentioned saddle anesthesia. That's one of one of the things that we talk about, and the way I like to explain that to patients is, you know, maybe you went to the bathroom this morning and when you wiped, something just didn't feel right, right? So like, it's not necessarily a numbness or a pain or a whatever. It's just, this is not, this is not my normal. I've done this a hundred thousand times over my lifetime and this isn't it. Um, and then there are also some things like you mentioned, uh, syncope would be extremely scary. Like that is certainly a reason to raise the red flag and say, this is something that needs to be checked out sooner rather than later. Um, any fevers. So if you have a fever and a sudden onset of back pain, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that you have an abscess in your spine, but maybe it's referred pain from a kidney infection. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it is one of those scary things. Maybe it's, um, a different type of infection, uh, endocarditis or sepsis or something that is making the infection more likely to be in your spine. So, you know, there's all sorts of things that, that we are able to evaluate for, but also questions that we're able to ask when, when you're there that I think do warrant a visit sometimes. Um, but as a patient, if you are experiencing something that just doesn't seem right to you, right? We all live in our bodies all the time. And, and if something is just concerning because, you know, you've had back pain before and this is just off or you have one of these, you know, things 
that we were talking about, like you just fell yesterday or something like that, I would say erring on the side of coming in and getting checked out is, um, is certainly reasonable and prudent. This episode is brought to you by the Sciatica Protocol. Experience pain relief directly through your phone, anytime, anywhere. Interested in learning more? Check us out at ifixyoursciatica.com slash the-sciatica-protocol. Yeah, that makes total sense. In a way, it's kind of like trusting your gut. If, you're te- if your gut is telling you, man, there's just something off. I can't figure this out. There's no harm in getting it checked out and making sure that we're actually able to uh, address it um, from a medical standpoint. And so, um, or yeah. I know it's like a hard question, right? Because there is harm, right? Like you you go to the emergency room, maybe you're there all day, maybe it it costs thousands of dollars and then it turns out there wasn't a medical emergency. So I, I get that it's a really difficult decision for people to make sometimes, um, which is why it's always best and wonderful if people have quick access to their primary care to run things by them, you, know, you call from the car, I'm experiencing this, is this something that I can, you know, come into the office to be seen or that I should be heading to the emergency room. Um, but, you know, the reality is that's just not the healthcare system that we live in most of the time right now. And so everybody's just doing the best they can. Indeed, everyone's doing the best they can. And unfortunately, the, the healthcare workforce is slowly dwindling, um, which means that there's a lot more people who need us um, as uh, than, than people like us who can who can help. So let's talk about the their emergency room journey. Um, yeah. Someone determines that uh, they need to go to the ER. What are some of the things that they should be expecting in regards to kind of like the, what's the process? Because I remember going into the hospital and I really had no idea. It was my first time in the ER. And I remember going in, getting checked in, and then getting triaged. I really didn't know what was next. And I am a healthcare practitioner. And so yeah. um, what is that journey like for a person who goes in to, to seek emergency services? Yeah, so that's a great question. And I think it's probably one of the most important things to understand as a patient. So you've determined for whatever reason it is that you believe it's worth this inconvenient experience, inconvenient and likely expensive experience, right? So most people don't go to the emergency room for no reason. They go to the emergency room because there are there is something or there are a series of things that have them concerned. And you know, this may just be the way that I would do it. I don't know if other people do this, but what I recommend is write a list you're on the way, you know, to the emergency room, someone's driving you there while you're there and you're miserable. Like, like, why are you going here? Are you going because you were fine? And then all of a sudden you had horrible, intense 10 out of 10 back pain. That's really important information to know that, that it came on suddenly, right? Or are you concerned because you've lost 20 pounds in the last four weeks and you weren't trying to lose weight? And, and now you have this back pain, right? Like there are certain, there are certain things that maybe don't make sense to you at, in that moment, but that could be absolutely critical for determining how urgent the situation is. So, you know, the more information that you can give to your triage nurse, the better. I happen to think that triage nurses are some of the smartest people in the ED. I mean, they really, um, 
they're chosen to do that particular job function because it's really their job to do the best they can to determine who needs care five minutes ago and who is going to be excuse me who is going to be most likely to be safe to wait a half hour right so that's that's just a judgment call that they're making and as a patient the more information that you can give them on you know fever and the way the thing happened and i'm really here not because the pain is so terrible but because i i also peed myself on the way over here right so like having that whole picture really helps the triage nurse um they usually want to get a really good understanding of what's going on. They do a basic exam so that they can identify um, any abnormalities on the physical exam. It's not a comprehensive exam that they're doing while you're sitting in the... It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Chair in the registration area, right? That's not really possible for them most times. But if you're good about being comprehensive, telling your story, they do their exam, they can most of the time identify, you know, things that will be quickly apparent to them. So, so that yeah. is, yeah. And then you normally go on a list. So, so they'll put you on a list and let's say you came in and you did have the story of all of a sudden I had 10 out of 10 pain and you're unable to stay quiet sitting in the chair, you know, and nurses potentially worried about maybe there's some sort of vessel rupture or something like that. Um, that's obviously going to be a different situation than if you say, you know, I've had 16 bouts of sciatica in my past. This feels exactly like my prior occurrences. It's only a five out of 10 right now, but that's usually how it starts. And then it gets much more if I don't do something right. Um, and so that's why I'm here. And that situation would obviously be, be treated in a different manner. Yeah, that's um, it's a I'm so glad that you brought that process up. Um, even even more importantly is being able to list out um, what you're experiencing. Um, and I tell this to patients all the time. There's no fact um, in what you're dealing with that is too minute. And mm -hmm. it allows us to do our jobs better because the more information we get, the better decisions we can make. And that's really a large part about medicine is medicine is an, uh, our, our big part is, I mean, one, for sure, the knowledge, but the clinical decision making process, right? Being yeah. able to get the necessary information and make the best choice based on the information that you're given. And so if you are omitting, um, you say, like, as the patient or yeah. omitting some information because you don't think it's necessarily important, it may or may not have an impact in how you receive care because that practitioner, the doctor, the physical therapist, the PA, yeah. anyone, the nurse, um, we don't have that information. We can't make a decision based on yeah. the, the lack. So we're really just trying our best to figure all this stuff out. And the more you tell us, the better. And so Tiffany, yes. I really appreciate that significantly. Ashley, I think that is 
if if people take one thing away from this podcast, that's what I would love for them to take away because it just can't be overstated. It cannot be overstated that you know, you saying, well, I actually had a history of breast cancer 10 years ago. Does that, I'm not saying it matters, but does it matter? And it could matter very much. Um, another point that's related to that, that I think is really important to say is we are not, and you know, I, like I said, I'm speaking from my own experience and I can't say it definitively, but I can say that myself and everyone that I work with, no one is judging, you know, how much alcohol you're drinking. No one is judging what drugs you're doing. No one is judging sexual practices. I'm not concerned about making a moral judgment, but I'm very concerned about making sure that I can come to the correct diagnosis and, and figure out what may or may not be related. And all of those things, you really don't necessarily as a patient have the ability to grasp all of the connections that someone who's doing this day in and day out may grasp from that information. So being as truthful as you can be in your medical records, I mean, 100% truthful um, is really important because it can it can have a great effect on our ability to do our jobs. And I think one thing that's particular, like, I am just so amazed by um, physicians and PAs, mm -hmm. like, your ability to get this information and then process it in your brain at lightning speed to the point where you can actually be able to make a diagnosis or make a, a, a good educated guess on what's going on. Mm -hmm. And, and a, sorry, I'm astounded because it's just so fast. I was going to say fraction of a second, but being able to recognize those patterns. And that's one of the big things that we've learned in school is being mm -hmm. able to say, okay, here are these presentations. Here's this information. Okay. This is what I'm suspecting with a high level of probability. And I'm just so amazed by uh, what you guys do out in the, the emergency department. So let's talk about, okay. So um, let's talk about sciatica pain itself, right? So yeah. you come in and it actually turns out that, there isn't a medical emergency and that it's just a really bad flare up. Um, with your experience in the emergency department, uh, I think you briefly talked about it um, early on in this episode, but what, what's the kind of process with that on your end um, yeah. when, with someone who has like an acute uh, flare up of pain, which turns out there's no life or limb threatening issues. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, that's such a great question, right? Because really, you're coming in, I have the conversation, I'm asking you all these history questions about your pain, about your history in general, about your what you're doing on the weekends. None of nothing raises any red flags. I do my exam, there's no weakness. You know, you're able to pee and poop just fine. You're walking, you know, but you're just having terrible pain. Um after we've been able to check all of the boxes on history and physical exam, and there's nothing that's really nagging saying, you know, that we think it's likely to be anything, then the next step is to try to manage that pain. Um, and sometimes this is something that patients get excited about. And sometimes patients are like, but why is this happening to me? Why am I having this bout of sciatica? Um, and that is, like I said, that's not always an answer that we can provide. But once we're once we're fairly certain that, you know, we have excluded all the big scary things, then really it's just about getting you comfortable. 
The reality is that a review of the literature doesn't give us a ton of definitive answers on how to treat this. Um, I tell my patients that really the only thing that's been proven to decrease the, um, the recovery time and the duration between sciatica episodes is activity. In my interpretation of the literature, that's really the only slam dunk is that if you lay in bed for the next 10 days, you will most likely feel worse. And if you do activity as tolerated with, you know, the help of anti-inflammatories and other medications as tolerated, then um, then you're more likely to be better off. But those are I mean, that's really essentially the the most evidence points there. And so everything else is just nuance where we're doing the best that we can do. Um, some patients report that having heat on the area decreases their pain. Uh, other people say if it's, you know, within a certain time frame, you shouldn't do heat, you should do ice. So some of those things are subjective. So heat or ice we could use um, depending on the, the history of the pain and the, the history of the patient. Um, Another thing that we sometimes try is lidocaine patches. Those over-the-counter lidocaine patches um, are useful sometimes, um, depending on, like I said, the nature of the pain. Um, some people say, oh my gosh, that took the edge off and now everything's wonderful. That's the most influential thing you did for me today. And other people say, this is garbage. Why, why, why do we even do this, right? So it's, you know, it's hard to say, but um, also, anti-inflammatories are something that we usually try as long as those aren't contraindicated for cardiac reasons, clotting, you know, medication interactions. Um, one of the medications that I really like in the emergency department is Toradol, which uh, can cause bleeding issues in some people. Um, but if it's not contraindicated and the person's not pregnant, I find that it that it's nice. Um, there are people who would argue that it's no better than a high dose ibuprofen or something like that. So, you know, based on the clinician that you are seeing, they may just say, here, we're going to give you this Aleve and ice and a lidocaine patch and a Tylenol, right? Maybe that's the approach. Um, but there's not really a standard that is followed as far as how do we manage your pain. Uh, we have decided that opioids are generally a bad idea. They cause constipation. They cause people to feel dizzy. They can't drive while they're on them. Um, it's just not, not the best medicine for that. Um, but most people that I know that are practicing in the emergency room do some form of topical treatment and anti-inflammatory. Uh, some people use muscle relaxers, which I have to say, I haven't seen any strong evidence in support of muscle relaxers, but I have had patients report that, you know, particular muscle relaxers um, work very well for them. So it's one of those, one of those things that's left up to the discretion of the clinician. But I would say that in most cases, if not all cases, um, you know, we are able to get to the pain, get the pain to a manageable level because, I'm not discharging you if I can't get your your pain under control, right? And I, I think that 
that is a valid reason to either continue looking for what could be happening, right? Why am I unable to control this person's pain and get them to be comfortable if it really is just a presentation of sciatica? Um, and, you know, in addition to that, the two things that I would say are the primary reasons to send someone with back pain to the emergency room are to exclude all those scary things and to get their pain under control. So that, you know, the pain in and of itself is something that we've just got to figure out how to manage while you're there. And so I think the biggest thing, the biggest takeaway from that is you go and you're given some medications and you go home. That means that there was nothing or yeah, nothing life or limb threatening, yeah. like the big, bad, scary things aren't there or are less likely to be there, Yeah, uh, which is a good thing, which then um, means that, okay, now you can move on to the next stage. That's when you can work with someone like me or a chiropractor or acupuncturist, like those people, because you go to the emergency room to make sure that if it is emergency, it's addressed. Um, if it turns out that's not emergency, you can rule out the fact that it's not emergency and knowing that it's not a life or limb threatening event yeah. will also actually reduce our anxieties, which also can reduce the pain. And, yeah. and so to be to go to the ER and be told there really isn't anything life or limb threatening, that's great yeah. news. And Tiffany, I'm so thankful for the work that you do because you put a lot of people at ease and you also save lives. I think that's a very important thing to be able to identify, okay, what are the next steps on there? Mm -hmm. So from, yeah. from, from me to, to you and everyone in the emergency department, I'm thankful for what you do. Well, we certainly do the best we can, right? And we're not perfect at it. So I think that's a that's another take home, right? Yes, we evaluate and there, I am not sending you home if I think there is a chance that, you know, any of these big scary things are happening. But you know what? We're also human beings and situations change and things evolve, right? Maybe I, maybe, you know, we discharge you and you didn't have a fever in an hour after you leave, you do have a fever and the back pain's still there. So, you know, I think the most important thing, anytime you're going to an emergency department or there are like two questions to certainly add to your list of things that you must ask. And the first is, okay, you don't, you know, this is what you think is, is going on. When should I come back? So we call these return precautions and any great emergency room clinician is giving you return precautions. And they're saying, look, I don't think there's anything going on. I think this is just your sciatica. I gave you this medicine to tide you over until you can see your you know, personal trainer, your orthopedist, your PCP, whatever the case is. And, but if these things happen, if any of these things happen, do not pass go and be back in this waiting room and you let them know that you were here and I told you to come back if this happened and then it happened. And I think that that's how we can work together with our patients to make sure that everyone stays, stays safe. For sure. It's a team effort. Tiffany, yep. this was extremely eye-opening um, and, and really educational and very uh, actionable um, and providing that at ease and helping people understand uh, what are some things that would, say, yeah, it would probably be a good idea to go to the, uh, the ED, but then also what to expect. Because when we go, it's not like we want to go to the emergency department. It's like yeah. we go because we have to, right? And yeah. it's overwhelming. We're in pain. We're nagging. We're suffering. And 
knowing that we have a lit like have this information allows us to have a little bit more of a clear head so we can mm-hmm. do what we need to do as patients is give you the information that you need so you can do your job as as clinicians so thank you again um for your time um for the folks who are listening they're like yeah this is really helpful i do have a couple of questions about the the er or um mm-hmm. some other things. um what's the best way for people to get in touch with you yeah, I love connecting with people. I obviously don't give, you know, medical advice, but I talk about medicine all day long on LinkedIn under Tiffany Ryder, Ryder like the trucks, R-Y-D-E-R. Um, and I also write a Substack called Med Savvy. Um, so I can give you that information so you can share that with your listeners. But, you know, I put out newsletters just talking about different medical topics, um, you know, tricks and hints and things to look out for, as well as some health policy and healthcare industry stuff. And Tiffany, I think uh, you also have a podcast of your own. Is that right? I do. I do. We are currently rebranding it, but right now it is available under Scrubs and Squats on all the listing platforms. And you can also find that directly from the Substack. If you go to the Substack link, you can just sort of you know sign up for free for the podcast and newsletter and any notifications you might want. So that's a good way to do it. Amazing. Listeners, I'm going to be putting that information into the show notes today. So if you want to check out more information, check it out. Tiffany, thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you got some help from today's podcast. And for more info, check us out at ifixyoursciatica.com. Have a fantastic and pain-free day. No patient-therapist relationship is formed by listening to this podcast. We are not providing medical advice, and all information should be confirmed by a medical provider. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply.